0: don't take your actions for granted. When you speak up, you're influencing people. When you choose to stay silent, you're you're influencing people. When you take action, you're influencing people. But if you're a bystander, that's influencing people. So you're always influencing people. So please lead with intent. Be mindful of your power. Be mindful of your leadership power and lead with intent.
1: Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a phenomenal guest today. He is the founder and CEO of LeadX with a mission to spark the next 100 million leaders through the use of AI-powered leadership coaching. He's also the host of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, a Forbes columnist, and he's a New York Times bestselling author of nine books, including 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management, and his latest, Great Leaders, Great Leaders. Have No Rules, Contrarian Leadership Principles to Transform Your Team and Business. Our guest today, Kevin Cruz. Welcome to the show, Kevin. It's great to have you here. Dr. Richard, it's great to be on. Thanks for the opportunity. This is going to be a lot of fun. There's so many places we could go. I know you're one of the most respected experts in the leadership space, but I want to take a step back. and I do this with a lot of people because it's so interesting how people's paths lead them to what they're doing today you're using AI-powered leadership, which is very unique, and we're definitely going to talk about it. But take us back to the beginning. What really put you on the path you're on today? Well, you know, the path I'm on today, I would say there's two two paths. One is a a
0: pursuit and a passion of leadership and leadership development. And the second is the path of being an entrepreneur, which you can relate to. And I saw, um, when I was a teen, I saw my father try to Be an entrepreneur himself, and it failed miserably, and you know, lost everything, lost our house. And actually, that experience as a teen made me feel like I wanted to to, um, be in charge of my own destiny. Rather than it scaring me away from the path of entrepreneurship, I sort of knew very early on that I wanted to, you know, have my own uh, future in my own in own hands. So I've started several companies from the age of twenty two on pursuing entrepreneurship, which which is very challenging, but also very, very rewarding. And what I learned is when I was in my 20s, my first companies crashed and burned. And it really was because I didn't understand how to how to manipulate time. And I didn't understand leadership and influence. And on that second part, I mean, it's embarrassing to to talk about it now, but I was so young and dumb when it came to leadership that, I mean, I literally always thought I was the smartest person in the room. I thought I had all the right answers so I could just tell people what to do or override their decisions or make a decision and force it through. And as I said, those companies failed in my early and uh, mid-20s. And it was only later that I truly understood the importance of if you want to do big things, great things, you you can't do it yourself. You can't do it all on your own. You need a team. You need a team of teams. And so it's about grabbing the best talent and then supporting them, and cre- and the more I focused just on creating a culture that drives engagement and less on the the details of the business, the running of the business, the better the teams did, the better the companies did. And you know it became a first. It was a two million dollar company. Then I started and sold a seven million dollar company. Eventually, you know, it was thirty five million dollar company, and it's been on and on. And the path is the the less time I spent in the company, and the more time as a percent I spent on just leadership and culture, the better the company's already always did. And I also learned some hard lessons along the way. I mean, I, I with uh, a company that I sold just over ten years ago. You know, I learned that while the company was a success, I wasn't thinking about leadership at home and my marriage blew up within weeks of selling that business at this life changing lottery ticket winning thing and within weeks the whole family structure disintegrated and i wasn't really thinking about leading proactively in inside of the family and so to me leadership is a superpower if leadership is influence it's a superpower that you know we can influence ourselves to get off the couch and get on the treadmill we're going to remarkably change our health and and our quality of life. If we can lead in our relationship with others, we're going to have remarkably better relationships with our teenagers and with our significant others. And then, of course, at work, if we can influence others, we can build amazing companies. So it it was this dual interest in entrepreneurship and then hard lessons learned on the path to leadership that made me just very respectful of of the power of, of leadership. And so after taking about eight years off, I decided, I saw this advance in artificial intelligence and what IBM Watson was doing. And I said, okay, behavior change is hard, but if we're now at a point where they're actually using artificial intelligence for cognitive behavioral therapy and getting, you know, interesting, positive results, I'm talking specifically about Stanford and and Wobot, W-O-E-B-O-T, I'm like, hmm, you know, getting... You can't really train leadership, but leadership coaching, executive coaching does work very well. Why don't we start applying AI technology to this world of executive coaching? If it's getting some results in, in psychology and CBT, maybe we can get some positive results for leadership change as well. So that's how we we
1: got to where I am today. I want to take a deeper dive into that. And it's interesting you mentioned the Wobot. The I've actually, I was privileged enough to see a therapy session Mm. using that. and How'd it go? It it worked. I, I, wow. I, and what's interesting is that, and I imagine this applies to leadership as well, what the research found was that people were actually in some respects more engaged with a bot than they would be with a person because they knew that a, an artificial intelligence construct isn't judging them. Right. And so sometimes in, in therapy, it, we, we use the term therapeutic alliance as the, as the fancy term that just basically means you trust your therapist, and so <clears throat> there was immediate trust because they felt that they weren't being judged by this by this this bot. And I imagine, particularly you know when you're dealing with C-suite people or high high level executives, there's some of that, and, and there's ego as well. So uh, I, I want to ask you: ha- Have you seen any of the research that's been done on AI in the executive coaching realm? Well, there there's almost no research right. being done. I, I figured we're, there wouldn't be much.
0: Yeah, we're doing some, um, and it's very early on uh, and the kind of research we've started with has been things like um, <laughs> we asked a uh, thousand frontline managers, if your company offered you for free a, a human executive coach to get better at something, would you would you want one? And it was I think it was eighty three percent, eighty three point one percent said yes. Now already, I thought that was interesting. You know, one out of five people don't want a wouldn't want a coach, even if it was offered for free. And so they they think they're good enough. They think they don't have the time. Like I don't know, that's kind of weird. And when we asked if you could be if you uh, were offered a AI powered robot executive coach for free, would you want one? And only half, forty three percent, said they would want one. So there was a bias, right? So most people say no, I wouldn't want that. So then we asked why, and the two big Groupings, most people said they didn't want uh, an AI powered coach because either one, they just said, I don't think it would work. Like it just wouldn't be beneficial if it wasn't human. So they don't really understand how it works or that it does work and all the rest. The second was fear. And it was fears of things like, I don't want to help other humans be put out of a job or I would be afraid of what the robot would do with what it would know about me. So it's just these weird, you know, sci-fi mm. robots are evil type stuff, right? Or or just not thinking it's going to be powerful enough. But Dr. Richard, I've got a question for you that I've been curious about. So a very common thing that we encounter when we talk about executive coaching, people uh, will often say, "Well, you know, who's like who's uh, can I pick my human coach because personality matters, fit matters." Uh, We want to make sure it's a good fit. And in fact, other coaching companies out there make a big deal about their algorithms where we will match you with the exact human coach for you because fit is so important. And I would think that the same uh, arguments would be made to therapy, right? So it's like, oh, you need to have a fit with the therapist. I want to pick my therapist so there's the right fit. But the fact that Wobot can be effective is not about personality fit because it's one Wobot for every patient, right? Right. And so what are your thoughts about the importance of personality fit with your therapist and or with your coach?
1: Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. Well, I'll tell you what the research shows, generally speaking, is that people make a big deal about, I'm this kind of a therapist or that kind of a therapist. You mentioned cognitive behavior therapy, and some people use different solutions, focus. There's like 5 million different flavors of therapy. And what the research shows is that at the end of the day, the type of therapy doesn't matter whether or not a male is matched with a female or a female is matched with a a, a female, like it does. None of that really matters. What it really boils down to is, can the two people, and it's it's really on the patient more so than the therapist. Can they just trust that person? Mm. So the fit is really just trust. And the the research shows that if the therapist trusts their clinician there's going to be a greater likelihood of success no matter what they're implementing. So I, I would expect that that would translate to coaching as well. And, and listen, I'm in the assessment world. So I understand algorithms and, and that stuff has its place to be sure. But, you know, you you can have an algorithm that says, you know, you're the greatest person in the world. And at the end of the day, you're a guy from Philly. If, um, (laughs) if, if, if you're an Eagles guy and your therapist comes in, Rocking a, a New York Giants, you know, baseball hat. I say, um, "Get out of here!" I ain't That's right. you. That's what I'm saying, right? So, I don't trust you. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it, there's always external factors that that play into into trust. But that's really where it begins and ends. If if the trust isn't there, um, the therapist the therapy just won't work. Yeah, that makes sense. That so it all comes down to trust. That's great. So this is this is good stuff, and, and and I think the the AI is so interesting because it's just it's it's cutting edge. Um, you know, it, it, the fears that people have of Skynet taking over <laughs> Skynet <and>, right. <laughs> is is interesting. So I, I want to come back to it, but I, I certainly want to pause and give time to talk about your latest best selling book because it's so intriguing to me. Great leaders have no rules. Contrarian leadership principles to transform your team and business. So. <laughs> I like this because I I do know that a lot of leaders are you know were mavericks and they were the kids that ate spaghetti for breakfast when everybody else was eating French toast. But talk to us about what made you want to write that book, and then I want to you know just take a high level overview of it. Yeah, and, and I think you know the uh, the publisher did a horrible job of that book, and the title
0: is a little bit misleading because it's not it's not about being a rule breaker. It's not about breaking rules or being a rebel. It's the problem with rules themselves. And certainly, um, you know, there's laws we should all follow. And there's some rules that are inevitable that are for our safety and protection. What I'm talking about, though, is the problem where in organizations, people get crazy with rules, processes, and um, every time we bump into a rule, it takes away the opportunity for us to make a choice. And when, when that choice is gone, it becomes a little bit more your company instead of my company our company and this came from you know that the title of the book and this idea around rules that's really just one of the ten chapters there's other things like why you should close your open door policy why you want to play favorites all these other contrarian things but what, the genesis of this was when I sold uh, my company 15 years ago the I, I merged in I reported the CEO as a partner and the CEO said Kevin you know, don't think of me as your boss. Like we're all equals here. You and I have you know equal votes. We have equal power. We're just partners looking to take this to the next level. That sounded really great. That that motivated me. I felt engaged. And then about 30 days in, I had submitted my first expense report as an employee of this new you know, organization. And it came back and was about $4 short, like the check. Not a big discrepancy, but I thought maybe I filled it out wrong. So I emailed uh, Don, our, our chief financial officer, Don, did I fill something out wrong? It's like $4.32 short. He says, he emails me back. He says, no, you didn't do anything wrong. He says, we don't reimburse for Post-it notes. Huh. So Then I emailed him back. Why? He emailed me back. It's a wasteful expense. So I bumped into my first rule 30 days in. Now, how much when I am not allowed to reimburse for Post-it notes, I've got a rule that I cannot get $4 back for these office supplies that I bought. How much of an equal partner did I feel? How much of a co-CEO did I feel like? How much did I feel like I can build this company in the future when I can't even buy Post-it notes? So I um, found out that like this was disengaging many people. There were a lot of these little rules like this in expense reimbursement. Another uh, senior level leader tried to submit a beer that he had ordered with his dinner while traveling. They deducted the $3 for the beer. He could have bought a $4 milkshake, but not a $3 beer, because the rule was we don't reimburse for alcohol. So I went to the CEO and explained, like, what are you what are you doing? This is crazy. Why is this in place? It's making everyone feel like they've got no choice or decisions around here. And he, to his credit, he immediately apologized. He said, Kevin, I didn't know that was bumming people out. Fine. You want to buy Post-it notes? Troy wants to buy a beer, go ahead. You guys can do that. But let me tell you why the rule is there. It says one of our values, and it's on the wall, is growth and profit. Now, that sounds kind of funny to have an actual value about making money, but he had a whole story. He's like, look, our purpose is not to make money, but you need to make money to pursue your purpose. You know, the purpose of life is not to breathe, but you need to breathe to pursue life. So being frugal was a value. And he said, I used to walk around here and people had these Post-it notes and they would just doodle on them as they were in meetings and on phone calls. They'd write phone messages on them. He says, you know what I use when I want to doodle or I want to make a phone message? And he reaches over on the side of his desk and he has a, a scrap paper. He'd taken like printer paper that he'd run, he'd torn it twice, and he had these raggedy little pieces of paper that he used to, to jot notes on. He says, that doesn't cost anything. I'm just using the, the garbage paper for that stuff. So for him, the no Post-it note rule was a symbol of frugality. It was an action to reinforce a value. And so even though he did away with that rule, I ended up staying in that company for five years, and I never once bought Post-it notes because I wanted to be a team player. I wanted to be a good senior partner. I wanted to live the values of the company. But the difference was we had a conversation about it, right? And so every time we bump into a rule, a dress code rule, A how much to spend when you travel rule. A you can't send this proposal out until it gets three signatures rule, until someone reviews it. Every rule that takes away the opportunity for us to make a choice about, hey, what should I do here? What would represent the values of the company? What would represent the goals and pursuit of the goals of the company? When it becomes someone else's choice, it's someone else's company and that disengages us. So the whole idea of great leaders, you know, have no rules, it's really they make no rules or as few rules as possible, because it would have been very different if part of my onboarding process was, hey, you know, Kevin, let's talk about our value of growth and profit. It's a weird one, right? What do you think about it? Here's what we think about how might we live here at work to live this value and and set a good example for others. Oh, those are some good ideas, Kevin. I've got one. I never buy post-it notes because blah, blah, blah. It would have been a whole different thing. We would have co-created the standard, the practice rooted in values. Um, When I launched the book, there was a a fairly well-known leadership coach who wrote (laughs) publicly on one of my social media feeds when she saw great leaders have no rules. She says, almost Kevin, but I tell my team, we only have run, one rule. You can never, ever lie to me. And at first, I sort of thought about that. And I thought, well, that, actually, that's true. That's like, you never would want anyone to lie to you. And that's a pretty good rule. I mean, it's about trust and integrity and all the rest. But then I thought, wait a minute. New, new team members come on board and you tell them, there's only one rule. You can never lie to me. How does that make you feel? It's almost accusatory. It's like, okay, she's the boss. And I'm following the boss's rule. It's her team. It's not my team. What if instead she said, hey, Dr. Richard, you're on our, my team now. Let's talk about values. What's important to you? Okay, here's what's important to me. My most important value is actually integrity and truth and honesty. What would, what would it look like? Is that important to you too? You'd be like, well, yeah, heck yeah. That's, I, I would want you to be honest with me. Great. It's a shared value. It's one of our highest values." Would people who live that value on this team lie to each other? Of course not. No, it's a co-created standard rooted in a value. So even the obvious rules, like even a lot of safety rules, you know, I say, look, unless it's mandated by law, FEMA or whatever, you know, I don't know who regulates OSHA, all these laws, unless it's like a, a, a literally you have no choice as a company but to to put it. It's better to co-create your safety standards So that everybody can hold each other accountable, Um, and a lot of sports teams, you know, in the research for the book, a lot of coaches said that they said, you know, it's too easy to be a leader, a manager who just runs around with the rule book, you know, measuring different things and looking at the clock, you know, that that's being a rule enforcer, that's not being a leader. And so, most great sports teams, I mean, they'll let the rules, quote unquote, rules come up from the team members themselves, from the, from the players themselves, there's often a a team captain and they'll, they'll rally. It's like, Hey, what are the standards for our team? And let's hold each other accountable way more powerful than a coach that says we've got 10 rules around here and it's my way or the highway. Usually that's rebellion. And you mentioned the New York giants. They had some experience uh, with early Tom Coughlin, you know, implementing crazy rules that they all rebelled against. So that's, that's sort of the premise of, uh, the big idea in that book.
1: I like that. I we, we don't. I, you said there's there's ten rules. We don't have time to go through them all, but that's, <laughs> that's that's very interesting. And we'll have a link to your book in the show if anyone wants to find out the other nine. Very cool. I, I wanna I wanna circle back because AI is something we talked about a little in the beginning, and what led you to that. And I know you've got LeadX, and and your mission is pretty ambitious. So talk to us. About LeadX as an organization and what what you're doing with it today.
0: Yeah, well, we were we were working in stealth mode for two years, and we released just over a year ago. We call our coach Amanda. That's just the personification of the of the coach, and um, it's a lot of technology. We're using IBM Watson as the AI that's driving it. And anybody can just go onto the Apple App Store or the Android App Store and just download LeadX, L E A D X, and you can try it uh, and and see how you like it. Um, it it's it, what we've done is our goal is not to mimic a coaching conversation. We think a lot of the success of a coach relationship is in the process. You know, a tip a typical human coach would do some sort of assessment. And whether that's a 360 assessment or a personality assessment, there's often some data gathering. Then, you know, the, the person being coached will, will set a goal. What do I want to get better at? What's my action plan? You know, what am I going to do each week for the however many weeks? And the coach is often the accountability buddy. You know, hey, Kevin, you said you were going to try this thing in meetings this week. Did you do it? Or you said you were going to do this, have this conversation with your boss. Did you do it? How did it go? And and it's this, it's this accountability partner and feed, reflection and feedback over time that can lead to behavior change, and that's exactly what Coach Amanda and the LeadX app does. I mean, we support uh, you know dozens of, of 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 assessments, you know, whether it's DISC or MBTI or Insights or EQI or all these other ones. There's a resiliency one. There's a growth mindset one, and so it's a data gathering. It's picking a goal. Coach Amanda will recommend an action plan: twelve things to do in twelve weeks to get better at accountability or feedback or developing your growth mindset. And uh, uh, Amanda will send you nudges on your phone to help keep you on track, help keep you motivated. She'll check in with you once a week, ask for your reflection on the activities, and um, over time, you know, uh, over time, you know, progress is is made and what what we've seen we're still early like like robot coaches 10 years from now will be like crazy developed compared to where they are today but already 83% of the people who try coach amanda want to keep her so remember that that, that the same percent that would want a human coach now would want coach amanda and it used to be 43% so people are scared of the robot coach until they get one and they're like oh well this isn't that scary and actually, it's way more effective than I thought it would be. On average, people talk to Coach Amanda twice a week. You know, they, they we've done limited uh, behavior change studies. We've seen increases in employee engagement, increases in productivity, reductions in stress after just four weeks. Um, so we're very early on, um, but but the but it's very encouraging. And you know, we're working primarily with larger companies who are trying to you know roll out affordable. Coach like experiences because a human coach. We always say if you could afford a human coach, Dr. Richard, they should get a human coach. And whatever you know, coaches charge different fees. Harvard Business Review says about five hundred dollars an hour is the average. And so, if you can afford that for your your managers, that's great. But usually, human coaches are given to the CEO, the VPs, maybe some directors because they're so expensive. We're saying now because it's in the form of an app. Every manager can can have a coach. It's a robot coach. Literally 1 100th one to 1 1,000th one the price of a human coach, you can get a coach-like experience that will give you significant improvement in the areas that you want to focus on.
1: I love that. And, and so... 80, the eighty-three percent is interesting—that that people are having a really good experience with it. What have been the the, the roadblocks? What are the what are the seventeen percent of people saying who don't want it?
0: So the the number one variable, as I'm sure you would guess, Doctor Richard, it's it's their own motivation, it's self motivation, and so unlike uh, therapy or most executive coaching sessions, um, like with most leadership coaches that are humans, the person in that relationship they're volunteering for it or they're motivated for it. So it's, you're at a high level and they say, hey, we're gonna get you better at this one area or based on your performance reviews to get to the next level, you're gonna work on these things, here's a coach. So you're motivated for that. With Coach Amanda, it's so easy to roll out and affordable that everybody's being given them. So it's not like, do you want a coach? Yes, give it to me. It's like, hey, 1,000 managers around the world, here's your new robot coach, good luck. And so it's a voluntary usage. So the people who are saying, we really don't want that, they're also the ones when we ask, and we do ask, how motivated are you to become a better leader on a scale of one to five, five being the best, they're usually a one, two, or a three. They're not, they admit, I don't want to become a better leader. And it's either because they think they're good enough or they just don't think they have time or they just don't care. So it's that internal motivation factor that is the biggest uh, driver.
1: Very cool. I I can't wait to download Amanda. I'm going to do it right, right <laughs> cool. after right after the show. Uh, I wanted to give you a moment as well, just because we're we're close to time here to talk about the Ludex podcast. So so take us through what listeners are going to get when they tune into that.
0: Yeah, so I mean we're up to I think 380 episodes over three years, and um, you know just it's another thing that when we launched we were doing it daily. And Dr. Richard, you know a lot goes into doing podcasts, so. It was a it was uh, it was a labor of love, but it was a lot of labor in that first year. And we scaled it back to being coming a weekly, and now we do sort of seasons because it's just gotten uh, a lot harder to to put together. But we just bring on uh, uh, your, a lot of your listeners would know them, some of the, the the great guests out there. Everyone from you know big name CEOs to leadership authors, gurus, and every now and then like probably the most uh, famous and not obvious leadership. Person I had was Alan Alda from MASH wow. fame. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and you're, you know, if you're <laughs> my age, he's the only one I was kind of starstruck by I interviewed <laughs> him, you know, in person, in New York and, uh, and it was horrible, Dr. Richard, because he had, he launched a book about communication and like active listening, but that's not what he would call it. And so as he's telling me about the importance of looking someone in the eye and really focusing on what they're saying, he's saying all this to me in my head is the dialogue. Like, I can't believe I'm face to face with Alan Alda. This is Alan Alda. You know, so <laughs> as he's talking about great communication, I was not communicating and listening very well because I was so stunned. Uh, that was the worst uh, host, you know, I was off my game, you know, with him, but uh, yeah, we, you know, we just interview lots of people and we always try to say, give us your best advice, you know, back for when you were a first time leader, first time manager, um, tell us about your war stories. We like to really get in the weeds with it. So I hope people will check it out.
1: Outstanding. I love it. Well, we we are at time. This has been a really cool conversation. You know that I like to wrap up every episode by asking my guest a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? That one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today.
0: I think it comes down to this. I hope everybody that listens realizes that leadership isn't a choice. You are a leader, whether you want to be one or not. Why do I say that? If leadership boils down to influence, and when you ask John Max, you ask Ken Blanchard, you ask everybody to boil down the fancy definitions, you say, ultimately, leadership is influence. Well, then what we know from behavioral psychology, you know it better than I do, Dr. Richard, we are influencing people all the time, whether we want to or not. we It's just whether we're influencing them in a positive direction or a negative direction. You know, if I'm in line at the cafeteria and uh, it's the dessert area, if I grab the apples, the person next to me, a complete stranger, is more likely to grab the apples. If I'm grabbing that chocolate pudding, they're a little bit more likely to grab that, you know, chocolate pudding. Whether you're at home you're uh, or at work, you are leading your family. You're leading your team members. You're leading people out there. So I just say, don't take your actions for granted. When you speak up, you're influencing people. When you choose to stay silent, you're you're influencing people. When you take action, you're influencing people. But if you're a bystander, that's influencing people. So you're always influencing people. So please lead with intent. Be mindful of your power. Be mindful of your leadership power and lead with intent.
1: Well said, Kevin. Tell us where people can connect with you.
0: Uh, the best way is the, the company website is leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X xorg uh, but I'm on all the social media stuff. So just uh, look for K-R-U-S-E, my last name Cruz, um, on Twitter, or I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to send me an email, I'm at, Kevin at Uh The book, Great Leaders Have No Rules, available on Amazon and everywhere. And that'd be great.
1: Maybe we can have Coach Amanda spam your email address with... <laughs> 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 now, in all seriousness, this was a really great episode. Thanks so much for coming on The Daily Helping. Thanks, Dr. Richard. And thank you as well to each and every one of you who chose to spend your time listening to this episode today. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, do something nice for somebody today. I know we're all stuck in our homes, but we've got internet and phones and ways to connect with people we haven't talked to in a long time and surprise them. Do something awesome for somebody else today. Post in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelpingToday because the happiest people are those that help others.